Hey, everybody. Welcome to Mailing It, the official podcast of the United States Postal Service. I'm your host, Dale Parsan. We've got a really good episode for you here today. We're going to talk with Postal Service's Chief Sustainability Officer, Jennifer Perro-Revi, about one of the biggest challenges facing any large organization today. That's taking care of business while also taking care of the environment. As we'll hear from Jennifer, the Postal Service has actually been working to improve its sustainability practices for the past few decades. We'll also talk about the very important role that sustainability plays in the 10-year Delivering for America plan that Postmaster General Louis DeJoy launched last year. Now, before we go to Jennifer, there's someone else I'd like to welcome to the podcast. Her name is Carla Kirby, and she's a program manager here at the Postal Service. Carla is also my new co-host for Mailing. Welcome to the show, Carla. Thanks, Dale. Excited to be here with the Mailing It team. (laughs) Carla, why don't you tell our audience a little bit about yourself, starting with what you do here at the Postal Service. Thanks, Dale. I've been with the Postal Service since 2016. I am a program manager for retirement and benefits. So I work a lot directly with employees, making sure that they're aware of their benefits and they are planning for retirement because, of course, that's everybody's end game. Wonderful. When we first started talking a, uh, a little bit ago about having you as a co-host, you mentioned some interesting reasons for wanting to get involved with the team. I was hoping you could share some of those with our audience. Absolutely. I think one of the biggest things that drew me to mailing it was learning more about the Postal Service. You know, I've been here for about six years, but I am still in awe about all of the things we do to make America move every day. So first and foremost, learning more about the Postal Service was a big draw. And of course, meeting new people is also a big draw. (laughs) Could not agree more. This is a great opportunity to not only uh, help ourselves learn more about the Postal Service, but, but help our audience. Without further ado, let's bring on today's guest. Hi, Jennifer. Hi, Dale. Long time no see. Long time no see. So, Jennifer, let's talk about, uh, let's get started by sharing with the audience a little bit about you and your background. So, I heard that you're an architect by training. I am. And fun fact, uh, I met you about 10 years ago when I started with the Pulse Service. You were one of the first people who uh, extended a helping hand to me. So, thank you very much, and I've appreciated uh, being partners with you for the last decade. You make it an easy lift. (laughs) So, when we talk about sustainability, how did you see that becoming a priority for the Postal Service? Well, Besides the fact that we delivered to over 163 million addresses, and we are so, so very visible in our communities, in addition to that, we are always rated as one of the top trusted agencies. So people know us, they count on us, and they like us. Therefore, they're going to count on us to be good stewards of our environment. And this became quite clear to me when I first joined the Postal Service as an architect engineer in facilities. In those facilities, we have so many opportunities that we have leverage to ensure alternative energy opportunities are maximized, to ensure that water and energy usage are decreased, and to, to work with our suppliers and our stakeholders to ensure that We aren't being a burden, and we're being as clean and green as we can be. Over, it feels like over the the last ten years, green initiative sustainability has really become a a core tenant for the Postal Service. At least while I've been here, can you talk to me a little bit more about why it's become such a high priority for us? Ensuring environmental leadership is so important because we are so visible. 
Our letter carriers see their customers every day, six days a week, sometimes seven. They see our vehicles. They see our buildings. We are literally the neighbor to many of our commercial customers, to many of our residential customers. And those customers have an expectation that given our footprint, that we are optimizing sustainability and environmental stewardship opportunities. And that involves, you know, things like holding ourselves accountable for for our operations. And it wasn't, I feel like it was back in January, Postmaster General DeJoy signed a commitment involving environmental practices. Could you talk to me a little bit about that? Sure thing, Dale. So you're correct. It was in January after a couple of discussions with the Postmaster General about you know, we need to really articulate with a fine point our environmental stewardship and what we're doing every day. So he did sign the United States Postal Service commitment to environmental excellence, and it speaks specifically to our commitment to continuously advancing our sustainability goals and our environmentally focused solutions that are focused on reducing greenhouse gas emissions, energy, fuel, usage specifically, and the waste that we produce. I could not be happier with the many tenants that are in this document. And he kind of put an exclamation point at the end by stating that we are focused on incorporating environmental management policies and sustainability best practices throughout our supply chain. And everybody knows that's a meaningful supply chain. So is that something that's public-facing that our audience can get access to on about.usps.com? Absolutely. USPS.com forward slash green. We do hold ourselves very accountable like the Postal Service does, and we're very transparent. So on that page, you will see the Commitment to Environmental Excellence memo signed by the Postmaster General. You will also see our most recent annual sustainability report and our climate adaptation plans. Great. Given that we are such a mammoth organization and we have a, we touch every house every day, basically, what would you say are our top priorities as it relates to sustainability and the tenants that you've outlined? Oh, I can't say just one, Carla. I would love to, but we do have a series of key performance indicators, again, to ensure that we are holding ourselves accountable for many of these metrics that I'm going to give a high-level overview on, and also that we're being transparent because these are all published in our annual sustainability report. So we have key performance indicators from everything from greenhouse gas emissions, obviously uh, reducing our scope one and two emissions, and that target is a 25% reduction by 2030. And then... And, and in our annual sustainability report, of course, we, we report our focus and our progress on that. But also, there's our water usage, right? We have such a footprint. We're concerned about our water intensity and specifically reducing potable water intensity 20% by 2030. In addition to that, energy usage, right? Everybody's familiar with the light switch, but it's a lot more than that, heating and cooling. And our focus there, our key performance indicator, is to reduce facility energy intensity 25% by 2030. And lastly, the last metric that I'd like to review is specific to waste diversion. You do not have the amount of facilities that we have, mail processing facilities, without incurring some waste. 
So our focus there is to achieve a 75% diversion rate. So that's getting recycling and optimizing those products as opposed to putting them in landfills. So that's a diversion rate from landfills by 2030. And we've made incredible progress working with our operational partners on uh, our national recycling operation. Quite a lot to unpack there, but from what I can garner, we we kind of have three main stems for the conversation. We've got renewable energy, how the Postal Service can use it. We've got ways that we can cut our fuel consumption. And it sounds like we're talking a little bit more on the back end about that recycling, the sustainable packaging that, that we've been looking into as an organization. So in preparing for this podcast, I mean, there's just so much material out there. You can lose yourself. So uh why don't we start with that first one, with, with renewable energy? Uh, the first thing that comes to mind for me is, is you know, large solar panel installations at one of our facilities in Los Angeles. I remember when uh, that hit the news media years ago. It was, it was a big, uh, big, exciting aspect to talk about. Could you, could you talk about that a little bit for our audience today? Sure. It, it was absolutely very exciting uh, when our Los Angeles Processing and Distribution Center uh, installed over 25,000 solar panels. That is currently our largest um, solar generator at 8.8 megawatts. But since then, we've continued to optimize those the potential use of solar panels. So even as recently in FY20, we added to our on-site renewable energy production with a solar installation at our Belmar, New Jersey Processing and Distribution Center. And very happy to announce that this project includes installation of over 13,000 solar panels with a capacity not the same as as LA of 8.8, but of 4.26 megawatts. And that's expected. I love equivalencies. So that is expected to generate over 7,000 megawatt hours annually, which is enough electricity to power 986 homes each year. So that's a lot of power. That is a, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> it's a lot of power from the sun. <laughs> exactly. We've made a lot of progress. It seems like since the L.A. installation, we've been rocking and rolling with the solar panels. So with that, can you share with us any projects that are on the slate for the future upcoming or things that are in the works now? We have so much going on working with our facilities and operational partners. And that focus is network optimization. Right, so we do have these buildings and we're focused on our Delivering for America 10-year strategic plan, which has a priority on route optimization and making sure that those buildings are optimized for both uh, sustainable routes, sustainable solutions, and with a, a key focus on our employees to make sure that they are uh, working in uh, a, a friendly environment that is architecturally responsive to them from a lighting standpoint and from efficiency standpoints. Implementing a lot of these practices, like the installation of the solar panels, these things aren't cheap. And, you know, just from seeing them around local neighborhoods, seeing homes have solar panels on them, it, it tends to lead the question of, is it worth it, right? Is the Is what we're saving in terms of not having to purchase electricity or pull electricity from the from the local grid, you know, is that really adding much of a benefit when we think about the installation costs? Could we talk a little bit about that? Sure. The the bottom line financially is that there is a return on investment. The caveat, as always, is 
it depends what that return on investment is. It depends where the solar panels are located. Is that optimized for maximum sunlight? It depends on the utility companies and um, you know the local return on investment for that particular building. So that's why we work with finance and our other partners on ensuring that we are optimizing that return on investment. So good for us, good for the environment. Win, win, win. <laughs> We touched a little bit on employees and the PMGs focused on making sure employees have improved workspaces. With that, can you give us a little bit on how the employees have reacted to the efforts for sustainability? I get so many emails and um, text messages and actually on LinkedIn uh, reach outs from some of our employees and some of our suppliers and our other partners when they see what we're doing, when they see uh, the, the mechanization that we have to support our national recycling operation, when they see those solar panels, when they see that those inefficient lighting um, mechanisms like high-pressure sodium lighting is being replaced with LED lighting. So it's better on the eyes, it's better for working, and it's much, much better from an energy efficiency standpoint. We touched a little bit earlier on route optimization and how it's a big part of the Delivering for America plan. Um, When we think of that and we think of route optimization, I think of increasing utilization on a truck. So if a truck currently has, you know, X amount of space left on it, that's, if I can fill up that space, I may be able to cut down on having numerous vehicles uh, run, which inevitably cuts down on the amount of fuel that I have to um, exude for the same amount of deliveries. Could you talk to me a little bit about how um, this route optimization has impacted the Postal Service's fuel consumption? Route optimization is key to optimizing our routes while uh, focusing on reduced carbon in our environment. So to your point, Dale, if we have one truck that is leaving the facility and it is full or almost full, and we have that one truck as opposed to four or five partially loaded trucks that are the same size that are emitting greenhouse gas emissions. So now we have one fully loaded truck emitting, admittedly, some greenhouse gas emissions, But that's in lieu of five trucks that are not optimized, meaning that they're not fully loaded. In addition to that, with the network optimization, we're seeing opportunities where routes are being removed. So as we optimize our highway contract routes, we are also translating that into CO2E emissions, the equivalent of carbon dioxide emissions. So what does that mean for the Postal Service? with our carbon load, it is clearly being reduced. And I, I think it's it's important to note that while we say removed, we're not degradating service at all. We're able to to still meet our delivery commitments while while cutting down on again how many vehicles we need on the on the road, right? Absolutely. That's that's the key word is <laughs> optimized, right? So we're optimizing the capacity of that vehicle. We're optimizing the, the driver's time. We are optimizing uh, reductions in greenhouse gas emissions. So as you have seen me and throughout my career, you know that I started air transportation and I'm a bit of a nerd when it comes to logistics, uh, specifically air transportation. What can you talk to us about the difference in air freight versus surface freight? Air freight uses 
a lot more greenhouse gas emissions than over-the-road contract routes. It depends, right? If we had our own planes, then we'd have better math on this. But in general, for those companies that have their own planes and their own their their own highway contract routes, air transportation uses eight times the greenhouse gas emissions as over-the-road trucks. So it sounds like we are doing great things around energy efficiency. But as the Postal Service, you know, we are heavy on envelopes, boxes, and other packaging supplies. What are we doing with our sustainability efforts regarding that? We've been doing a lot from a sustainable packaging uh, standpoint for a long time. So for example, our ready post boxes that you'll see in our post offices, they are made from 100% post-consumer waste. So Making boxes from post-consumer waste is a direct equivalent to using less water, obviously using less trees, using less energy, so that's a win-win. And we're looking at how we can further communicate to our customers, to your point, Carla, exactly how green they really are, because we know from Pew Research polls, from Gallup polls, that customers not only want environmentally friendly goods and services, they're willing to pay more. Good to know. It seems like we are definitely making strides about recycling also. And these products can be found at all of our retail stores, I'm assuming. Our ready post boxes, yes, in our retail stores. And with respect to our priority mailboxes, we have a wonderful website where people can order those packaging and that packaging is free. What about the package materials that the Postal Service customers themselves use? What efforts are we making to make that more sustainable and encourage people to use those products? Excellent question, Dale. So I don't know about you all, when I, but when I get a package delivered to my house, I look at it and I want to make sure that it's recyclable. And sometimes people think that a package is recyclable and they might recycle it. And in fact, it's not. So what uh, the Postal Service did in 2019, I signed an agreement with How to Recycle. And we now have How to Recycle labels on on most of our packaging. And so that will tell our customers whether that package is recyclable and then what to do with it. If it's a cardboard box, flatten and recycle, right? We have some packaging that is not recyclable and Again, we're being accountable and transparent, and that how to recycle label will in, will tell them that it is not recyclable. We strive to optimize recyclable packaging, and we continue to work with uh, the different product lines and the program managers to ensure that they are as sustainable as possible. You know, I'm I'm guilty of looking at a paper product and just assuming that it's recyclable. So I. I- I need to keep a better eye out on this. So thank you for that. Yeah. So for example, even outside of our packaging, we are working with our communications folks on the little postcards that you get. And so so some of them have wax, a wax coating on them so that they're more durable. Some of those may not be recyclable, right? So you might put it in your recycling bin. So we have new labels on those. We're working with communications on some of our philatelic um, magazines and publications and the little postcards on uh, giving that consumer information on whether that card is recyclable. So again, transparency and accountability. So with our packaging, you indicated that the majority of it's labeled. So people know that they can recycle it if it's not recyclable and how they can dispose of it. Correct. Uh, We're working towards 100%, but most of our packaging currently has that how to recycle label on it. 
And in addition to that, people can get information on where to find these products at USPS.com? Absolutely. Uh, USPS.com has all of our priority mail packaging and um, different sizes, different shapes, different materials, and how to order them, and they are free. In the post office, I think to your point, uh, we have other boxes also, including our ready post packaging line. So what kind of impact have the types of moves we made about recycling impacted waste? across our organization. So from the pilot that we did on our Ready Post packaging line, which was which occurred in 51 sites in eight states, wherein we communicated uh, the environmental components of the Ready Post packaging, just put signage out there saying that it's made from 100% post-consumer waste and is 100% recyclable and saved this many trees and electricity. We did see that consumers were drawn to that. And so there was... And those sites, there was an increase in that. So our takeaway is let's communicate the good things that we are doing. With these initiatives that uh, your group has been conducting on behalf of the Pulse Service with our products, uh, what kind of impact or reaction are you getting from our customers? Positive. Positive reactions. Uh, it's... it's um, it's exciting to get the feedback from people that read our annual sustainability report. Some of these are from postal employees, and some of them are from non-postal employees, or some of them are from some of our suppliers who are excited to read that the Postal Service is really being a leader in environmental stewardship with everything from our packaging to alternative energy to being transparent and where we are going with our greenhouse gas emissions. So given our customer base being so large, are there pointers that you can provide to our customers on how they can improve their recycling efforts and help the Postal Service? That's an excellent question, Carla. So as I mentioned earlier, right on our boxes and packaging, we have the how to recycle label, which is telling them whether it's recyclable or not recyclable. They can also go to USPS.com. And then when they order the, our priority mailboxes, they can see what percentage recyclable they are. And our priority mailboxes, by the way, are free. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us today. It was truly an enlightening experience to hear more about the Postal Service's uh, sustainability and various green initiatives that we have going on. Thanks, Dale. It was my pleasure talking to you and Carla today about everything that the Postal Service is doing to be greener from uh, for our customers, for our financial bottom line, and most importantly, to ensure that we are a good neighbor. And we do that as we continue to put our stamp on a greener tomorrow. All right, everyone. It's time for Did You Know? In this segment, we share some interesting details about the Postal Service that most people probably don't know. Carla, since this is your first episode, why don't you kick us off? That works. Dale, did you know that Green Book, made famous by the 2018 movie, was originally published by an African-American letter carrier? I did not. In the 1930s, Victor Green, a postal carrier based out of New Jersey, was sick of the discrimination he and other African-Americans had to deal with, especially when traveling, so he decided to do something about it. Taking a cue from similar guides published by the Jewish press, he put together a travel guide listing businesses friendly to African-Americans in the New York area. That's impressive. The first Negro motorist Green Book was actually published in 1936. 
and it was so successful that he expanded the scope. He asked his connections throughout the post office to identify businesses in their areas that welcomed African-American travelers. Later, he offered cash payments to readers who sent in tips and other information about African-American-friendly businesses. Green actually kept expanding his guide to eventually include private guest houses, service stations, drugstores, taverns, barbershops, and beauty salons once they had been verified as non-exclusionary and open to, again, African-Americans. Eventually, the guide renamed the Negro Traveler's Green Book after Victor Green. Green signed a distribution deal with Standard Oil, so the Green Book was actually sold in Esso gas stations nationwide. Carla, it's, it's, it makes me very proud to know that the Green Book was the work of a fellow Postal Service worker. Exactly. And I didn't even know that when I saw the movie, but the movie was fabulous and definitely agree that Green was a very interesting man. In fact, by 1933, he and his wife had actually relocated to Harlem, where the Harlem Renaissance was in full swing. He also managed a jazz musician, his brother-in-law, Robert Duke. In 1952, at age 60, Green retired from the Postal Service after 39 years of carrying the mail. Green died eventually in 1960, but with the help from his wife, Alma, and others, they managed to keep publishing the Green Book until 1967. Ironically, they thought with the passage of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the banning of racial discrimination, that there would be no need for any new editions of the Green Book. Gosh, what a great story. That's, uh, I'll be honest, it's a tough one to follow, especially on your first day, but I'll give it a try. Carla, did you know that in the late 19th and 20th centuries, post offices quote-unquote hired cats to catch mice and rats? How exactly do you hire a cat? Well, I'm being a little facetious. But rodents were a big problem at large post offices back in the day. They were attracted to the glue on envelopes, packages, and newspaper wrappers. Knowing this, when the Postal Service opened a big facility in New York City in August of 1875, postal clerk George W. Cook brought along a cat. Just one cat? Well, it was a female cat, which meant before long there were a lot more cats. (laughs) Right. So about how many cats are we talking about? You know, by 1897, there were about 60 cats in the New York post office itself. George Cook became the unofficial superintendent of postal cats. He was in charge of feeding them all with a budget of $5 a month in 1904, almost $175 in today's money. There were plenty of funny stories related to the cats that may or may not be true. I can only imagine. Let's hear one. (laughs) For example, there were an invasion of rats when a cheese manufacturer mailed out samples of Limburger and extra cats had to be called in. And supposedly, postal workers would hide extra cats in mailbags to be shipped out in suburban stations. Well, that definitely gives a new meaning to the phrase, letting the cat out of the bag. (laughs) How did Cook feel about all these cats? Well, he was honestly quite fond of them. On November 5th, 1904, Cook celebrated his 54th anniversary with the Postal Service by hosting a banquet for 60 cats. The menu included raw calf's liver and lamb's kidney. Sounds delicious, right? Exactly. I really (laughs) hope he brought his own lunch. (laughs) Me too. And on that note, that's a wrap for another episode of Did You Know?
So we just had a really great conversation with Jennifer. We learned about some sustainability efforts across the Postal Service. One of the things that really stood out to me was the packaging. I had no idea we were labeling our packaging as recyclable and what's not recyclable. And that is a way for our customers to help out the Postal Service in our recyclable and sustainability efforts. So that, for me, was definitely a did-you-know moment for the conversation. Absolutely. Uh, Taking that a little step further, understanding that not everything that I perceive as recyclable is recyclable. So having that partnership or that agreement with the how to recycle that Jennifer talked about really helps us as an organization educate our customers to your point. Um, Something that really stood out to me are the solar panels. You know, for to think of how many thousands of solar panels we have on top of the, these identified facilities is really impactful. And to hear that it could, it could power you know, nearly 1,000 homes for an entire year is, is really a wow factor in my mind. That wraps up this episode of Mailing It. Don't forget to subscribe to Mailing It wherever you get your podcast to make sure you don't miss the next episode. And follow along on Instagram at U.S. Postal Service, Twitter at USPS, and on Facebook. Thank you.